G'day and welcome to the Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. We're a church that's all about knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. And if you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit anglicandolby.org.au. This week's sermon is entitled Peace and Comfort and it's part of a wider series called Why Bother with Christmas? We hope you enjoy the sermon. Comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she had received from the Lord, hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All men are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the God stands forever. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arms, arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Loving Lord God, as we come before your word, we pray that you would give us your comfort and that through your comfort we might have peace, a peace that wells up to everlasting life. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Please take a seat, friends. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Today we're going to talk about comfort and the peace that comes out of comfort. But as I've been thinking about peace and comfort this week, I've realized that there are really two types of comfort. There's the physical comfort. And physical comfort is is something we all aspire to. No one, apart from a few daredevils around the place, uh, no one looks for pain. No one looks to be hungry. No one looks to be sad. We all want physical comfort. But the thing about physical comfort is it doesn't last. 
We're going to play a little bit of a game. You guys get to complete the sentence, okay? All right. If I eat too much comfort food, I will get... If I lie in my comfortable bed too long, I will get... What will you get? Lazy. Lazy. Oh, okay. I was thinking bed sores, but okay. <laughs> I thought someone said lice. I was like, oh, gee. <laughs> Not going anywhere near your bed. <laughs> All right, last one. Um, if I spend too much time on holiday, I will run out of... Good. <laughs> Physical comfort is something that we, we want. We want to spend time in our comfortable bed. We want to eat delicious foods. We want to go on holiday and be restored. But physical comfort is something that is fleeting. It doesn't last for very long. The thing about spiritual comfort, though, is it is lasting. It's hard to find, but once you find its source, it's eternal. So before we look at spiritual comfort, uh, let's look at why comfort is so elusive, particularly spiritual comfort. In the beginning of the Bible, we're given a vision of ultimate comfort. Adam and Eve are put into a beautiful garden, the Garden of Eden. They have everything they need, and they have each other. Most of all, they can walk with God in the cool of the day. But they take this comfort for granted. They want more. And in grasping for more, they actually end up with less. For the first time, people sin. They reject God's warning and God's promises and end up in an uncomfortable world. A world where there's sickness, hardship and hunger and they're now part of everyday life. And the story of the Bible takes things from bad to worse. Within a generation, Adam and Eve's son, Cain, kills his brother Abel out of an act of jealousy. Abel makes Cain feel uncomfortable, and so Cain kills him. In one of the most chilling verses of the Old Testament, which comes out of the book of Judges, it repeats this refrain a couple of times in the book, and it talks about a country that descends into chaos. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. In this desperate thirst for everyone to make themselves comfortable, everyone else ended up uncomfortable. In the book of Isaiah, he spends 39 chapters warning of judgment. Isaiah is called to speak to God's people. And this is one of the first things he says. Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on God. Everyone running after their own physical comfort has caused them to turn their backs on God. The first section, the first 39 chapters of Isaiah is full of warnings. And... 
Isaiah warns, if you keep on going this way, the Babylonians will invade from the north. And despite Isaiah's repeated warnings, the people don't listen. They continue to turn their backs on God. And they're about to reap what they've sown. And sure enough, Babylon does invade from the north. And it does conquer Israel. And the presence of the Lord goes out from that nation. Now, the Bible isn't the only book telling us that no God equals no peace. A study published in 2021, which pulled together 13,000 results from a survey from 77 countries, found that people who believe in God tend to be happier, more satisfied with their lives and in better physical health than non-believers. There's a secular Jewish psychologist by the name of Jonathan Haidt, and he writes a book called The Happiness Hypothesis. And I was, as I was reading through it, I was surprised because he, he, he took it for granted as a psychologist that, uh, that religious people are happier. They, they have more peace in their lives. Um, but as a secular atheist, he refuses to go down this track. And so he says, well, you can try um, psycho... Uh, and, psycho-altering drugs, Um, you can try LSD and that might make you more peaceful, or you can try mindfulness and he gives six exercises, six rules of life to make you more happy. And the whole book left me going, my goodness, why don't you just try God? We live in a world that says, follow your dreams, do what makes you happy, pursue physical comfort at any cost. And so strangely, we end up less comfortable, less happy, and less fulfilled than we want to be. Now we're all suitably depressed. Here's some good news. Comfort comes from God. After 39 chapters of judgment, finally Isaiah 40 changes tack. In fact, it changes tack so radically that for a long time, people thought there were two Isaiahs. Isaiah 40 is where people teach that second Isaiah starts. They basically say Isaiah 1 to 39 was a different guy. And then Isaiah 40 onwards was obviously some disciple of Isaiah's later on. But I think it's the same guy. And I think his message changes because he's starting to see through the impending judgment and onto something brighter. He says, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. How can this be? If the nation is so wicked, how can it say that she's paid double for her sins? Well, I used to think it was because of the hard suffering that they went through under the Babylonians, that somehow this was some sort of double measure. But actually, Sam Albury points out that this passage is deeply messianic. It's Jesus. Who pays double for our sins? Jesus. That's why this passage is quoted in Matthew, Mark, and Luke as they begin their story about Jesus. Who is coming? He is the comforter. He is the one who pays double for our sins. John the Baptist, in our Mark reading, which Ken just read, comes on the scene. He's the voice in the wilderness preparing a highway for our God. But notice, it's not us 
making a highway to God. It's God making a highway to us. He is coming to be our comforter. And then in the Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Mount, (laughs) Sermon on the Mount, Jesus riffs off Isaiah 40. And he says these words. Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he yet not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Jesus sees this battle between the two comforts. We're so madly trying to make ourselves physically comfort. We're so madly trying to make ourselves physically comfortable that we're missing out on the spiritual comfort. And he says, seek first the kingdom of God. Wherever Jesus goes, he brings the kingdom of God. He brings peace. He drives out demons from possessed people who then calmly sit at his feet. He sees a widow in anguish over the death of her son, so he touches his funeral pyre and the son jumps up and is restored to his mother. He calms the storm and brings the chaos of nature into peace. This is the reason why God can say, comfort, comfort my people. Because he's making a highway for his comforter to come. But notice in Isaiah, there's also a future element of this comfort. You see, Jesus came the first time, but there is a second coming. One day, the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Isaiah peers into the murkiness of the future and he even peers beyond Jesus' first coming and into his second and looks forward to his return when Jesus will gather his people like a shepherd into his arms and every eye will see and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. At the first advent, lots of people missed Jesus. But at his second coming, at his second coming, no one will miss him. This should be as comforting to us as it was to Isaiah. It means that God cares about us. To him we're like a blade of grass. And yet the word of the Lord endures forever. And God even cares about grass. So friends, as we enter into the third week of Advent, I want to encourage you to draw on the Lord for comfort. There will be so many things this week that promise comfort. Air conditioning may be one of them in the lead up. I'm no weatherman, but it seems like that's what we're going to need. Uh, comfort food. There's, uh, it's crazy how many parties there are and there's just cake and shortbread and ham <laughs> Comfort food is a big one. Uh, and maybe you might have some, some veg out time, some me time. There's nothing wrong about these things. But sometimes this mad pursuit of physical comforts can crowd out the word of God and can crowd out time with him. 
So as we look to God for comfort and peace, I want to encourage you to do three things. Firstly, make time with God. There are lots of things to do. But the best thing we can do is find peace with God in this crazy world. Uh, my wife Zoe is going on a trip. She was meant to go to Israel in January, but obviously that's not a very peaceful place to go right now. Uh, and so she's, she's heading up to, to England. She's going to uh, go to Lindisfarne, a holy island. And it's just an island. It's, it's where it's the cradle of Christianity in England. Um, and she's going in the footsteps of St. Aidan, who really brought the gospel to the British Isles. Um, and as a busy mum, there are so many pressures on Zoe every day. Work commitments, ministry commitments, nagging kids and an overbearing husband, just to name a few. And for the last six years of ministry, Zoe really hasn't had time to retreat and be with God. And I was really proud of her. We were at a Christmas party um, on uh, Wednesday, Tuesday? Tuesday it was. Um, and Zoe was talking about how she was going to the UK. And someone sat with her and said, you can go and do this. You can go and see that. You can go and be this people. And I've got some friends. You can go and visit them. And she said, no, I'm just going to be with God. I'm just going to pray. I don't want to be busy anymore. I'm going to be with God. Friends, this Advent, let's resist the urge to be busy. Let's make time with God. The second thing I want to encourage you to do is speak to God like a friend. Jesus calls God Abba, which is sometimes translated Father, but it means more like Dad or Daddy. It's the word of affection that you use for a good parent. This week, I want to challenge you to find space to speak to God like you would your dad, like a loving parent. God is with you and God is for you. So speak to him like a friend. It was beautiful. Um, last night, we had Dolby Community Carols and, and I was behind the scenes, so I was running around um, making sure the vendors were happy, making sure um, the sound was as good as it could be, making sure that all the punters were happy. Um, but I just had a moment to stop during the night and I looked over and it was the highlight of my night. Um, it was the most Aussie thing you've ever seen. There was a, there was a picnic rug right in front of the stage. There was a little boy playing on the stage. Um, this family had their dog um, on a leash um, and and there was just this little young girl in a wheelchair. Um, and she dressed up in her Christmas best. Uh, and she was holding her dad's hand. And they were thumping out the beat of, I think, I come you all you faithful, one of the carols. But it was just beautiful. And you could see in her face and in her dad's face that this was just a special moment that they were going to share and treasure. So I encourage you this week to speak to God like your dad. Just speak to him personally and spend time with him. The last thing I want to encourage you to do is come forth. The word comfort uh, comes from our old English word, come hither, come forth. 
And that's exactly what Isaiah 40 is saying. He's not just saying comfort, put your, put your feet up, have a Coke, put on the air conditioning, be physically comfortable. He's saying, come forth, present yourself to God, which for us, I don't know about you, but sometimes that fi- fills me with fear. Sometimes that, that seems like a, a frightening, exasperating thing to do. But Advent is a time to take stock, to lay your life bare before God. Businesses do a stock take because they need to. We as people need to do a spiritual stock take as the calendar draws to a close. You might like to write down highlights and low points from the year. Or you might want to spend time repenting of sin in your life. Or you might want to start journaling and taking stock of every day. Whatever you do, spend time honestly thinking about your life before God and where you are at with Him. It may be a confronting process. It'll be one that will bring lasting peace, spiritual comfort, real peace. So friends, as we travel through Advent, let's be mindful that with no God there is no peace. And that to know God is to know peace. Let's make time for God. Let's speak to him as we would a friend. And let's come forth and do a spiritual stock take of our lives in Jesus' name. Why bother with Christmas? Well, it's because it's our time to focus on God and the comfort and the peace found with him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.